Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, with Pastor John Barrera. You know, it's so funny, you know, you heard like something, you're hearing something, but then your mind just instantly thinks of something really out of the blue, like when Heidi was saying, you know, that if you don't return the tag, and, and I don't know, my mind was like, if you don't return the tag, we're not going to give your child back. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my goodness, what if they don't come back for the children? Then we're going to load up all these kids in our car, take them home? I'm like, I know how you talked about adopting kids, but I don't know if we want to, I don't know if we want to go that route, you know? <laughs> uh, good morning. Anyways, okay, all right, right. You know what, our, our pastor is enjoying his uh, much-needed break, and please keep uh, Pastor John and Margaret in your prayers. Glad that they can get away. And like we shared before uh, this morning prayer, you know what? God, even while he's ministering to Pastor John and Mark, as they're being refreshed, you know, the Lord still has a word for us today. We're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So if you want to pull out your Bible app, pull out your, your Bible, turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Last week, Bob talked about Obadiah. Now, jokingly, I told this to Bob earlier, but for those who were here last week, Obadiah is on page 1,491 in my Bible, right? You remember that? I don't know. Last week, I was like, where is Obadiah? I cannot find it. I know it's here somewhere, you know, but we were blessed with our brother, Bob. Bro, thank you again for giving that word, man. It was, it was incredible. It was. Well, the title for today's message is Bad News, Good News, and Best News. Bad News, Good News, and Best News. Before we even start, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord. And, uh, you know, through the years, Lord, uh, your, your word has been preserved, Lord. And Lord, we have this opportunity you've given us, Lord, to study what you have to say to us through your word. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase. And, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here this morning, I pray you would prepare their hearts and their ears and eyes, Lord, that we can take in what you have to say. Lord, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. All right, so I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. Follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Here we go. And you'd he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
And finally, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I got a question for you. Has someone ever come up and said, I got good news and bad news? You know, parent come up or spouse come up and say that. What do you want to hear first? Yeah. You, know, you know what? This has perplexed people through the years. That I, I, I am not lying about this. Uh, Psychology Today, an a, a, a organization, actually conducted a study about which news people prefer to hear. Yes, that is our tax dollars at work. What do you want to hear first? And they actually, according to the study, most people prefer to hear the bad news before the good news. And, and, and they conducted another study that says people who got the bad news first ended up in a better mood. And those who got the good news first weren't as likely to change their behavior. Okay. Well, see, look, in writing to the church of Ephesus, Paul was continuing to remind the church of who they were in Christ. In chapter 1, he was talking about the spiritual blessings and what they have in Christ. In today's portion of Scripture, we're going to see that Paul really, really wanted to emphasize the good news, what they have, but to help the Ephesians really appreciate that good news. First, know the bad news. Not, and let's take it a step further. Not only do you have to know the bad news, but you have to comprehend, get the bad news, really fully understand the totality of the bad news. And that's what Paul's going to do. And he's going to lay it out. So today's portion of Scripture, also let me, let me tell you this. As we study today's portion of Scripture, we're going to be reminded of the goodness of God. We are going to be reminded of the grace of God. We're going to be reminded of the mercy of God. But again, but to fully appreciate the good news, just like the Church of Ephesus, we need to be reminded of how bad the bad news is. So for you note-takers out there, I got a really simple outline. Okay, For you note-takers, here's my simple outline. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to talk about the bad news. Verses 4 to 6, we're going to talk about the good news. And verses 7 through 10, we're going to talk about the best news. I'll say that again. Verses 1 through 3, the bad news. Verses 4 to 6, the good news. And verses 7 through 10, the best news. Amen. Amen. Here we go. All right, here we go. Let's talk about the bad news. Let me read the first three verses again. And you, you made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Look on at verse 1. The word dead. Now, in the Greek, that's the word nekros. Or ne- nekros? N-E-K. Thank you. Thank you. Ne- nekros, right? Nekros. And what that is, it's, it means dead person. It means corpse. Dead. 
Yeah, in fact, that term is where we get our medical term, necrosis, which is death of a of of, of body tissue. So basically, Paul is using a physical term, dead corpse. But you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, John. As we're looking at verse two, and verse three. Verse two says, "You once walked." Verse three says, "We conducted ourselves or fulfilling the desires." Wait. How do dead people walk? How do dead people conduct themselves if they're dead? That's what you're asking. Good question. Because this is what we need to talk about. What Paul is talking about is spiritual death. Let me say that one more time. Spiritual death. Well, what do, what, what do we come up with that? Well, first of all, let's make no mistake about this. I'm emphasizing with silence. Spiritual death is serious. Spiritual death is no laughing matter. Spiritual death, dare I say, no, spiritual death is worse than physical death. Think about it this way. Death is a separation. If physical death is the separation of the soul from the body, then spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. John, where do you come up with that? Genesis 2.17. God tells Adam that in the day that he eats the, the fruit, the forbidden fruit, that he will surely die. And we all know the story. Adam and Eve, they take the fall. But when Adam and Eve bit the fruit, they didn't drop dead. But they did die. The spiritual death, I mean, I'm sorry, the physical death did not happen right then and there. But believe you me, they died at that moment because they were separated from God. That's spiritual death. That is the separation from God. Genesis 3, 8 also says, when Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Spiritual death causes separation. Fellowship between them and the Lord broken. They were spiritually dead. And because we, and here in chapter, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 3, what Paul is saying, because we were spiritually dead, we conducted ourselves in our sins in our trespasses, against a holy God. We reveled in our sins. And I'm losing my head. Can you hear me okay? We reveled in our sins against a holy God. We, we, we committed sins and trespasses. And remember, just a little friendly reminder, trespasses are, are deliberate commit, uh, or, or, or a deliberate offense where sin means to miss the mark. Either way, as we're dead in our sins, we're continually missing the mark against the holy God. So in verse, so realize that in verse 1, Paul lays out clearly what we are, or what we were, spiritually dead. Separation from God. But wait, it gets worse. Verse 2. Paul lays out that what we, the spiritual death. Okay. 
and it gets worse. Verse 2 talks about, let me read verse 2 here again. Verse 2 says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons disobedience. This world, when you hear Paul mention this world, when you mention the parents of the power in the air, when he says the word, the spirit, that means that when we were dead in our sins, whether we like it or not, guess what? We were on team Satan. Wait a minute, John. I never, you know, I didn't, you know, walk, you know, put pentagrams on myself, or I didn't, you know, follow, you know, I didn't uh, do sacrifices or anything more like that. No, no, no. When we're spiritually dead, the world, prince of the power there, we're talking about being on Team Satan. You hear that term in the, in the Bible, in Scripture, referring to the world. And what we mean is not the, the cosmos, the, 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 the planets and the universe, but the world in Scripture is being referred to as the humanistic system around us. The world's value system that tells us what you should prioritize. It's the world's philosophy and what you should believe. It's, it's their own system on what should, you should do. Scripture says that we once walked according to that. That we once did what the world told us to do. We, we did what the world told us to prioritize. We did what the world wanted us to believe. We adhere to the world system. That's the way we behaved when we were spiritually dead. And guess who's in charge of this evil world system? Yep, Satan himself. He's called the prince of the power of there. And I know that's a funky, long title, but let's break it down. The prince of the power of the air. It's, it's really simple. He's called the prince, not the king, not the supreme ruler, but the prince means that he does have authority. And then when they mean the power of the air, the air meaning this environment, this earthly realm, this earthly dimension, the same one that we're living in right now. So as Paul is laying, laying, laying out, it gets progressively worse. We were dead, spiritually separated from God. But yet, he laid it down in verse 2 that we followed the world's ways. We followed what the world thought, and what the world connected themselves. Take a look around. Look on TV. Look on the media. As Pastor John says, look at this shiny silver screen. We shouldn't be surprised when we see spiritually dead people acting the way they're acting because they are acting the way the world acts. And the world is again governed by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. Well, but wait, it gets worse. Verse 3 lays out that we willfully conducted ourselves according to the principles of the world. If verse 2 tells us what the worldly system is and who's in charge, verse 3 clearly tells us that we indulged freely, that we weren't you know, these victims who were forced to go along. We freely indulged in our sins. 
We freely indulged in our lustful desires. We did what our flesh wanted us to do with no regard to God. In fact, no surprise, our sinful natures are hostile to God. Wanting nothing to do with God. Think about that. I mean, I clear, I think I showed this before a while back, but I, I remember my BC days in California driving down the, the, the highway, seeing the Harvest Crusade, you know, with great glory. I remember scoffing and laughing at that. I remember that going, wow, yeah, whatever. I remember that. And, and again, that no one had to tell me, no one had to tell me to, to scoff at that I, on my own. Think about it. Every careless thought, every action we did, every sin, every trespass we were committing, every impulse to satisfy our flesh, we were in violation of God's holy standard. Why? We're born sinners. We sin. And we sin quite well, thank you very much. That is the default position. You realize that? We sin, that is our default position as sinners. And that default position to sin, to fulfill our lust, to give in to our fleshly desires, puts us under the wrath of God. We rightfully deserve God's holy judgment. Are you ready for some good news? I'm ready for some good news. I'm ready for some good news. All right. Verse 4 through 6, the good news. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in, places in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, but God, Brother Bob talked about this last week. All right, y'all remember that? But God, you know, but, the word, but God, appears 44 times in the King James Version. There are numerous examples of God turning the situation around at critical points and a story throughout Scripture. And all of them are indicated by the phrase, but God. But God is powerful. Yes, you should be smiling. You should be rejoicing because every single one of you had a but God moment. We, yes. You know what I love? Mercy is God's compassion for the helpless that relieves the situation. And mercy means not giving the punishment that is deserved. You realize that? That sinning against the holy God, we deserve judgment and wrath, but God chose to give us mercy. And, and here's what's cool. Take a look. We're still looking at verse 4. Why? Why did God choose to be merciful? Well, if you, let's take a look at verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. Of his great love, which he loved us. 
Oh my goodness. His great love for us. You know, David Guzik makes an excellent point by saying this. Every reason for God's mercy and love is found in him. We give him no reason to love us, yet in the greatness of his love, he loves us with that great love anyway. Therefore, we must stop trying to make ourselves lovable to God and simply just receive it. Receive his great love while recognizing that we are unworthy of it. This is the grace secret of the Christian life. God's great love. God's mercy. But wait! It gets better. Verse 5. We did nothing. We didn't bring anything to the table. We didn't have any sales, convincing sales pitches. We had no bullet point list. We had no analysis report to try to convince God we are worth saving. We were dead! Going back to verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Made us alive together in Christ. We got to remember this. We gotta, don't lose sight of the fact that we got to remember God is a just God. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, according to the law, almost all things Almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. God showed his great love and mercy by sending Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. This was God's plan. He initiated it. Jesus' death and resurrection was God's plan on how to reconcile us to him. Remember, we were dead. We couldn't do anything about our helpless, hopeless situation. And again, Paul reminds us again, God's grace is giving us what we do not deserve. Grace, unmerited favor. But wait, it gets better. Verse 6. Verse 6, and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, as we are raised up in Christ, we have a new life here, 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 in, in this world. We're spiritually alive in Christ. We are no longer dead. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1, telling us, we are no longer captives to this world. We no longer have to give in to those fleshly desires. We don't, we're free from that. Not only that, God, we have God's word in our hearts. Our spiritual eyes have been enlightened by what he did. And so we have that now. We have the Holy Spirit now. But what's cool is that we have something amazing coming. It's not a matter of, of, of if, but when. God, the holy God, righteous God, the omniscient God, gives us a place in his kingdom. Think about that. His kingdom. What did we do? Nothing, because we were dead. But yet, he gives us a place in his kingdom. He gives us a place at his table. That's coming soon. But wait, 
You know what I'm going to say, right? It gets better. Now let's talk about the best news. Verses 7 through 10. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest we, I'm sorry, lest, oh my goodness, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 7 is telling us, this is awesome news. Again, look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That means God has no plans to stop. There's no ceasing. God will always, always, always continue to show his grace and kindness to you and to me. It's never going to end. It's, it's never ending. In the ages to come, that means it's going to continue into the future forever, forever and ever. It's like, it's like all you can drink, you know? One of the things that I, I like about a, a restaurant, or that will make me sad when I go into a restaurant or a place to eat, you know, I see the food, but if they only, like, sell cans of Coke, that disappoints me. That breaks my heart. What I want to see is like the all you can drink. I want the paper cup and I want to be able to refill that cup as many times as I like while I am there. If I see a restaurant, yeah, honestly, ask, don't take a word, ask. I, I, I will go to a restaurant that has the all you can drink instead of just buying just a can of Coke. That's insulting. That's sin. But, but just, <laughs> but just, sorry, I, there's a point to this, I promise. All you can drink. I, I, I want to take it. And so that's it. You know what? We, God will never stop. He'll always keep on giving his love and grace. It's all you can drink. I don't know the word analogy. Pray for me. And you know, here's, 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 check this out. Who's he going to show this to? Look at verse 7. Who's he going to show this to? All of history. People and, and even angels. First Peter 1 Peter 1.12. The angels are going to be tripping out going, Wow, Lord. Wow. Yeah, John was a piece of work. And, wow, Lord, he, you, 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 you cleaned him up good. You, you, he looks good. The angels are going to be like, Dude, whoa. You know? <laughs> we, we're going to be making the angels marvel. Not by us, by what he's done, his grace, and his kindness. Verse 8 and 9, Paul is reminding us again. You need to hear this again. Notice Paul saying this, because it needs to get through our heads. Paul is reminding us again and again that this is all God's plan. Okay. <clears throat> Everyone, hold up your hand. Now, take your fingers and touch your thumb. Okay. You've made a zero. Show your neighbor. Show your other neighbor. See? That zero. That right there. This is how much you contributed to your salvation. Zero. Zero. 
So next time you're having a, a deep theological debate and you maybe start talking about, you know, just salvation and, and, and you just go, oh, you know, how much, how much did I play a part? Oh, yeah, zero. That's how much we played a part. God's rem- and Paul is reminding us, this is God's plan. We, did, we played no part. So, so you're thinking, wait, wait, wait. Well, okay, well, all right, John. I see that you, okay, I got the whole zero hand thing, all right. But why is that the best news? Okay, 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 let's go with that thought. That's what you're thinking. Trip out. Imagine if salvation was based on our works. Just shudder that ugly thought. You'd be freaking out. I'd be freaking out. We'd be panicking. Did, did, I, did I pray enough today? Did, did, I, did I read the word today? Oh, I think I, I cut off someone accidentally. Oh, you know what? I, it, it would become works-based. And we'd be freaking out. We'd be panicking all the time. Or go to the other extreme. Our pride would consume us. Yeah, we'd be gloating. Yeah, I, I read my Bible eight hours today. Yep, yep. I prayed 12 hours today. Yep, yep. And honestly, do you really want to mess with God's glory? No. That's right. God shares his glory with who? I'm sorry. God shares his glory with who? A little louder. No one. God shares his glory with no one. So let God be God. God alone saves. You play no part. And, and I love this verse 10. When you look at that verse, it talks about workmanship, which poema, what does it mean, Tony? Yeah, which is, which means, poema means poem. Okay, I know, I'm sorry, I didn't give you another. Poem. Poem. The, a beautiful poem, or another translation is a work of art. Stop. Take that in. Take that in. God sees you as his workmanship. Well, no, 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 no. Let's, let's dig a little deeper. Let's dig a little deeper. His workmanship. His. You are his workmanship. The holy God, the omniscient, powerful God, creator of heaven and earth, looks at you and goes, Tony, you are my workmanship. You are my poem, Tim. Grace, you are my work of art. You know what I mean. You are my work of art. You are my poema. Looks at every single one of us and says that. So, in case you're ever wondering what does God think about you? What does God feel about me? Let this be a reminder. Let this be a reminder of what God how God feels about you. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection is a loud shout of God's opinion of you and me. He loves us immeasurably. And he sent his son to live a perfect life for us. And to die 
on the cross paid for penalties of our imperfection. You know, you may be thinking, John, I don't feel this way. John, you don't know what I've done. John, I've been I've done some crazy things I'd be ashamed of. I'm wrestling with this. I, 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 I hear your good news, man, but I just don't feel it. i got some encouragement for you. Sanctification. You know, $10 word that you hear in seminary, you know, theological school, you know. Sanctification, all that is is being set apart, being conformed to the image of Christ Jesus day by day, moment by moment. You know, 2 Corinthians 3.18, you know, as, as we grow in grace, we are gradually but steadily changing to be more like Jesus. Sanctification is a lifetime process to complete. Do you realize that? If you're feeling down, it's, you're a work in progress. You're a, the poem is a work of art, is a work in progress. The Lord knows that. Check this out. If you were here, here, I hope this will make you feel better because it makes me feel better. The Apostle Paul, we esteem the Apostle Paul. We go, dude, Apostle Paul, you are right on. But the Apostle Paul himself said that he was being sanctified even as he ministered to others. Remember Apostle Paul saying he was the chief of sinners. Apostle Paul said that he had not attained. So we could look at the Apostle Paul and go, dude, Apostle Paul, man, you are like, Right up, man, you wrote practically all the books of the Bible, you ministered to the Gentiles, and he knew and acknowledged that he didn't need to he needed to press on, that he had not arrived. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Okay, if that's what you're going through, if that's what you're struggling with, that you're being sanctified daily. Sanctification, remember that term. It's a lifelong process. You continue to abide in Christ. You press on. So yeah, Apostle Paul laid out bad news. Yeah, we were dead. Yeah, we were separated. Yeah, like, like a dead fish floating down the stream. We just... Let the world's current take us wherever. We, not only did we follow the current, but we enjoyed it and we reveled and we indulged in it. But God, because he loved us, his great love for us, his grace and his mercy. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. We are his works of art. He hasn't given up on you. He's faithful and just to complete it. The days of Christ Jesus, right? That's what Philippians. Amen.
So I think, I think it leads perfectly into communion. Why do we do communion? I mean, we do it, you know, we do it systematically. We do it because Jesus told us to. You know, if you want the official term for communion, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's an ordinance started by Jesus during the Last Supper with his, with his disciples. Communion is the way for us believers to outwardly show their love and fellowship with Christ. We're remembering his sacrifice on the cross. And we're looking forward to when we'll, all of us, including Christ, will partake of it in his kingdom. Also, communion is a time for reflection. The time to reflect, to, to do business with the Lord, so to speak. That quiet time where you can come before the Lord. Remember, we're, we're being reminded, the Lord wants us to be reminded of His body that was broken and His blood that was shed. What a perfect time to do business with the Lord. What a perfect time to bring up those things that you were wrestling with. Or wrestling with. Those, those struggles. God knows what they are. You think you're going to surprise him? You think he's going to go, Oh, I didn't know that. Ooh, I have to get back with you. No! God knows. And while we bring up our, our, our concerns and our sins and our, our struggles with the Lord, let's not forget the point of communion, though. Christ has shed blood. Forgives us those sins. So let's not go unchanged. Let not don't let this moment pass. I know we, we do this systematically because we are obedient. Jesus wants us to do this in remembrance of him. So as a Bible believing church, we are going to faithfully have communion systematically. Just remember, this is the time. Not only that, that we remember what the Lord's done, but it's a safe time that we can come to Him, where we can come to Him and just lay it, lay it before Him. So we've done communion before. Brother James continues to play. Come on up. Come on up and grab your the, the elements.
familiar with Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we can remember what you've done, your body that was broken, your blood that was shed. Lord, we are alive because of what you've done, because of your great love and mercy. Lord, we want to first and foremost tell you thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Lord. Thank you for reaching out. You knew, Lord, that we were hopeless and lost. And it's amazing, Lord, that you saved us even though we wanted nothing to do with you. That you made us alive even when we were dead and dare I say we were content in our dead ways. But you rescued us, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray now, Lord, as we just thank you for this, Lord. You're a God of passion and love, Lord. But you're a just God. And Lord, we thank you that you will not cast us away. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to have this moment with you, to remember what you've done, Lord. Lord, give this opportunity for us to just come before you with what's on our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for who you are, rich in mercy, rich in love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die. Thank you for the hope that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You need a few moments. That's okay. A few moments just to, again, lay it out. Talk it over with the Lord. And when you are ready, partake of communion. moments right now.
seen in your scriptures this morning. You showed us clearly who we were. Who we were before. You showed us clearly who we are because of your son, because of your plan of salvation. And you you showed us who we will be your workmanship, your poema. We're even going to trip out the angels like you said, Lord. Mm, you're a good God, Lord. Thank you. As we remain in this attitude of worship, our brother James is going to close us out the song. Sing to the Lord. Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for who he is. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.